title of this message is Written in Heaven. And maybe you, like I, have you ever had that time where maybe you were in school or you were at your work and you were uh, potentially looking for promotion? Or maybe you went to a sports game and somebody provided some tickets and there's this thing called will call. And so at will call, you have to go and, uh, up there and see if your name is on the list. Yeah, or maybe at school when, you're, when you were applying to school and you were hoping to get submitted in, uh, admitted into that school or receive a scholarship, and you were waiting for that letter that had your name on it. And so we, we, we've probably all been there at some point wondering whether or not our name would be on the list whether we would make the cut, right? Whether or not when we got there, the ticket would be there for us. But I want you to know that there is a, there, there's a book that is so vitally important that our name is written in. And Jesus is talking about this, and I'd like to just spend some time because uh, it, it, it's so important as we look at Scripture to understand that there's a lot more being said than what's on that page. And so it's so important that we exegesis the Scriptures and we're able to see the things that Jesus is, is speaking of and the Scriptures are reminding us of. And so I just want to take some time to do that today so that we can see not only what's being said, but what it means and what it means to you and I. And I, I, will, I will say up front that this passage of Scripture has such a powerful meaning to you and I. And as we, the Lord unfolds it today, let him speak to you. Let him remind you of who you are, whose you are, and the plan and the purpose that he has for you. And if you're not sure of your salvation, if you're not sure that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Let today be your day. Know that God was looking at you when Christ went to that cross. That he had you in mind. If you were the only person on this earth, he so desired that your name would be written in heaven. So let us read in the book of Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20. And it reads, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So it's important to talk a little bit about what's happening here. You know, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the book of Luke. And last week, we spent some time and we saw that Jesus made an emphatic statement. He said, the Son of Man must suffer. And we understand that that suffering that Jesus would suffer for you and I was so that we would have an opportunity to receive eternal life. So that we would have an opportunity to have a relationship with God that God so intended before the foundations of the earth. And so Jesus said those words, this must happen. We were reminded last 
last week that Peter was looking in the natural a little bit. He was the one who said, this is the Christ, the anointed one. And Jesus said, shh, 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 don't tell nobody. Because they'll get to a point that they won't want to kill me if they really know who I am. But I must suffer. And even we saw that example of Peter. Peter tried to hold him back from suffering. Peter, the Bible says he put his hands on Jesus and rebuked Jesus. And Jesus responded to him, get behind me, Satan. Because he must go to the cross. He must die for the sins of all mankind. So that we all would have the opportunity to come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. To enter into eternal life. An eternal blessed life with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so as we see here, we come into this point. Jesus is now, he's doing it again. Now he's sending out 70 disciples. He's furthering the word of God that, that many would come to know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he sends out these 70, and they go out, and then the 70 come back, and they were all rejoicing. They say, even the devils <laughs> are subject unto us through thy name. Said, like, man, Jesus, you the man. Power and authority. But look a little closer with me in the book of Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 1 through 3. It says this. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face in every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Giving us the understanding that we all have a work. God is calling us to. He's saying that the labor, laborers are few, but the harvest is much and plenty. See, God, the, the, God desires that none would be lost. That all would come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so God is preparing, Jesus is preparing the people for this very work. Verse 3 goes on and says, go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. It reminds us that there's going to be some trying days and there's going to be some difficult times. But it's so important that we know the battle and the war. And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that. See, these 70 obeyed the Lord and they went out. In this atmosphere or conditions that would be closely aligned with going to war. But it's so important that we understand that it's not a natural war, but it's a spiritual war. And so let me share three key points with you because it's so important that we have the right understanding and Christ wanted his disciples, the 12, the 70, 
and all of us to understand the right war, the right battle, to keep our eyes focused. Because if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the natural and miss the spiritual. See, just like the Jewish counterparts of, of, of Christ's day, they were so focused on the natural. As a matter of fact, Jesus' contemporaries were not wanting peace with their traditional enemies, the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Or peace with the Romans, who they feared and hated. They wanted all-out war that would bring God's justice swiftly to their aid. Look with me in the book of Luke, the ninth chapter, just a little bit before we get to this. In verse 51 through 54, it gives us a little depiction of this. In verse 51, it says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. So they started going into Samaria. Samaria realized that Jesus and his disciples were going to also go to Jerusalem, where the Jews was. And if if you're familiar with the history, uh, the Samaritans came to be when the Babylonian nation came in and, and attacked Israel, attacked Jerusalem, and took them over into captivity. And there was a remnant that stayed, and there were those from Babylon that started marrying with Jewish people. And so they created this culture or this sect called the Samaritans. So they were half Jewish and they were half Gentile. And so the Jews hated them because they weren't fully Jew, because they represented this captivity that had came from the Babylonians. And so in turn, the Samaritans hated the Jews. We see that in an example when Jesus is at the woman with the well and she says to him, what does a Jew have to do with a Samaritan? He was like, Jesus, why are you here? Why are you in this area? Why are you drinking from our well? Jews don't even want to look at us. So much so drink from our well. And so verse 53 says this. And they did not receive him, speaking of the Samaritans, because he was going to go and talk with, he was going to go to Jerusalem as well. Because his face, his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, Would thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? Lord, let us burn them up. Don't want to receive you. Caught up in the natural. See, the Samaritans would not receive Christ because they thought he would go, also go to the Jews whom they hated. 
and his disciples wanted to consume the Samaritans with fire because they hated them. But you know, God doesn't hate anybody. He hates sin. He knows the destructiveness of sin. But he loves the sinner and so desires to draw them to him. And so that brings us to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. You see, off so often if we're not careful, we'll want to fight natural wars with spiritual weapons when the natural is not even our fight to begin with. In Ephesians 6, 12, and 13, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. In other words, we don't wrestle with our boss. We don't wrestle with that family member. Y'all know which one I'm talking about, right? We don't wrestle with our peers and those that are in our community and our neighbors. So often we get caught up in the issues of the day. We don't wrestle even with the politics of our nation. That's not the fight. Yes, there's some things that we need to be involved in. There are some things that we need to look at and make sure that we're being wise as a serpent but harmless as a dove. But at the same time, it's so important that we keep our eyes fixed on what the true battle is. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, Satan and his devils and demons. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Peace, joy, love, hope. gifts, talents, abilities, that we may be able to withstand in the evil day. You see that word? Withstand. See, that's a, that, that, that's a defensive word and not so much an offensive word. And I'll get to it in a minute of why we, we, we take the defensive position and not so much the offensive position. In the evil day, having done all to stand. So what that's saying to us, when you've done all, when, 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 you, when you've done exactly as the Lord has told you to do it, when you, when you trust in him, there's times you just need to stand. There's times things are going on in our life and, 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 and it just seems overwhelming. Stand. Withstand. And stand. God has given you everything that you need to be able to do those two. To withstand any wild of the devil, any attack on your life, anything that's going on. And he's giving you the strength to stand. So you stand in the power of him and the power of his name. And the power of his love for you. Knowing that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And so the natural war is not our war. Well, let's look at the spiritual a little bit. The spiritual war. See, this is what is needed to be highlighted here in this passage of Scripture. 
and what's implied in Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 17 and 18. Luke, the 17 and 18, verse 17 and 18 says, And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Remember I I mentioned earlier that Jesus often would say a whole lot with just a few words, just a little. This has so much. See, in the passage, the 70 returned with joy because they were able to cast out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. Christ responds with a statement that would make you go, oh, yeah? The fight is on. When we think about lightning, we visualize how lightning can suddenly and unexpectedly flash down from the heavens. Have you ever seen it before? It's just so quick and instantaneous. So it gives the implication that Satan had his footing jerked from under him. That just maybe when he thought he was winning, he was And he came tumbling down from heaven. But saints, I want you to understand that Jesus is not talking about the first time when he disobeyed God and there was this casting out into the earth. See, after the original rebellion in heaven, Satan and his fallen angels were cast out a second time. This is a little different. Because, see, when he was cast out the first time, Satan still had access into heaven to accuse the brethren to go up and be in the presence of God. And so we think about that, we say, why, how was he able to do that? I'll give you some thoughts, you know, know, the Bible reminds us in Genesis 1 that we were, you know, created in his likeness, in his image, and that we were given dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every creeping thing. And so a part of it is when we were deceived by Satan when we disobeyed God there was a certain amount of authority that Satan was able to receive because we lost it we stepped out of the will of God and so this uh, you know and 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 there's you know this is Jeff Williams here just kind of dissecting this a little bit you remember Jesus said he said that there is none when they called him good master. He said, why call me good? There is none good but God. And so in the heavenly realm, we know that it is perfect. It's holy. It's without blemish. But because there was none good, none holy, none righteous, I believe God couldn't not allow Satan to come in because there was nobody else to justify why he couldn't come and have access. Because there was none good. 
So it would be unfair for God to say he can't come in when nobody else could either. So there needed to be someone to come and live a sinless life, a righteous life, so that now the authority of Satan, the him jar accusing the brethren, would not have any weight. Turn with me to Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a voice, a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. You see, that's a key word there, the authority of his Messiah, that now have come. For the accusers of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. So let me give you a little bit more of that. So when Jesus was born, and we talked about that in the first couple of chapters of the book of Luke, there was a great spiritual war that occurred. See, Jesus, excuse me, Satan was trying to do everything he could to prevent this from happening. so that he wouldn't lose his authority, so that he wouldn't have the right to access, to come up into heaven and accuse you and I. He had been accusing the nations for hundreds and thousands of years before the appointed time of Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, being born, the one that would set the captives free. And so he was able to take the law of God and say over and over and over again, they are not worthy of heaven, but they are worthy of death. You cast me out, but they are worthy of death. Each and every one of them, not one, has followed, has obeyed, has trusted. Not one. You can't keep me out. I get to accuse them over and over and over again. Satan outlines a man's sins and demands that God surrender all sinners into his dark dominion. But in the fullness of time, God's appointed time, he sent his son to be born of a woman just like you and I. Satan became desperate to do everything he could to consume and destroy this child. You remember the stories, right? Adam, destruction, Mary and Joseph running for their life. Him killing, having Herod kill babies after babies after babies just to get to one. 
He even tempted Jesus when he started this public ministry for 40 days and 40 nights. If I can just get you to do one sin, if I can get you to not trust God one time, if I can just get you to disobey, I won't lose my authority. He's grasping for straws. He even tried to counter Jesus' ministry by sending, and history has a little bit of, we we can look back and see through Scripture that this is probably the most time that we see demonic activity in the land. Demons possessing people. All of this going on because Satan did not want to lose what he had. Indeed, Satan did everything that he could to stop Jesus Christ from going obediently to the cross and laying down his life for sinners. I must suffer. However, Christ triumphed by remaining faithful to the will of his Father and making atonement for the sins of all mankind. Look with me in Revelations 12, verse 7 through 9. In Revelation 7, chapter 12, verse 7 through 9, it says, Now war arose in heaven. See, it's not talking about the one that's going to happen. This is talking about that, inner, that, that middle one. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. See, I believe he can't go back up there now and accuse you anymore. He can do it here. He can talk his trash, but he can't go there. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. See, what this means is Jesus now had victory. Overall. And so we can even answer the question, what does it mean to cast out demons? See, God did it first. He cast them out. He made his place of heaven as a place of of beauty, a place of wonder a place of righteousness, of peace and joy, that there's no more accusing of the body. And so we're starting to see this in these passages and in the gospel happening in the spirit that's affecting the natural. See, life has come where death used to reign. Life Light has come into darkness. 
the territory that Satan had authority over has been taken back. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have a little bit still left on this earth because we're in a fallen world. But he does not have ultimate authority over this. Because of Christ. See, think about what what Christ said in Luke, the 11th chapter, verse 20. This is what he said. But if, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, light can't be in, darkness can't be in the same place with light. Death can't be in the same place with life. And so when that casting out of those demons, pushing them away from our, our family, our friends, the kingdom of God has come upon you in those places. See, it's almost like they're, on, they're, they're running for, they're on the run. They are retreating. They're doing everything they can to hold on to what little they think they have. Remember as Jesus was walking through and he saw the man that was, had legions in him and they said, have you come to cast us out? What have we to do with you? Jesus. Jesus is making a prophetic statement in the book of Luke, the 10th chapter. Verse 18, when he says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. See, he hadn't went to the cross yet. He hadn't died yet when he made this statement, but he knew it was coming. He knew that Satan would be cast down like lightning suddenly. He would no longer be able to go and have access to accuse the brethren, to talk about all the sins that we've done. That who the Son has set free is free indeed. That our sins are cast into the lake of forgetfulness, never to be remembered by God. So upon Jesus' faithful obedience to God and his sacrificial atonement, of the law for all of mankind. Satan no longer has a place or will no longer once Jesus went to the cross and died for all of our sins, atoned, and no longer have a place to accuse the brethren. Therefore, when Jesus announces to the 70 that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, that is equal to saying that the kingdom has come and salvation has come upon the people of God. The accuser has been cast out. Now the just shall live by faith in the Son of God. You remember when Jesus was talking to the woman that was caught in adultery? He stooped down. He started writing on the ground. He made a statement. He said, you that are without sin, cast the first stone. He never really looked back up 
And one by one, they walked away. And then he looked at the woman. And he asked her, he said, where are your accusers? And then he responded, go and sin no more. Your accusers aren't here. God has shut the mouth of Satan. So when you're feeling accused or you're feeling, guess who's doing that? Really, it's you. It's Satan on this earth, but he does not have the authority in heaven. Our mind can tell us a whole lot of things, but God is having none of that. He's not hearing it anymore because of what Christ did so it's so important that we fight the real war saints of God so important that we understand the war in the spirit was won the devil was defeated by Jesus Christ at the very moment that Jesus said, it is finished. And yes, we still feel the residual effects. We're like, well, Pastor, I'm still going through stuff. That's because the devil is still on this earth. The reality of it is, is this is a fallen world. We're going to feel some of the residual effects of it. But Jesus is reminding us that ain't the fight. That ain't the war. We should no longer war like natural men and women. But to war in the spirit. Knowing that Christ has already won. Look with me in Luke the 10th chapter, verse 19 and 20 again. And we're going to read that a little slower to see what Christ is, is, is saying to us a little bit more clearly. He says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. That word to tread means to press the foot on, to step on. See, when you get to that point, that, 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 that's an image of something that's already been defeated. When you're putting your foot on it, when you're stepping on it, you don't have to run away from it. You don't have to run around it. I give you power to tread. I give you the strength to step on it. And over all the power of the enemy. See, Jesus is reminding us that we're overcomers. That no matter what power that the enemy has in this world, it's not greater than the power that Christ has given us. 
and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What does nothing mean? Nothing. Nothing means none of it shall hurt you. It may feel like it at times. Anybody ever been there? You may even feel like it's going to destroy you, but it's not. Whose report you going to believe? The devil going to try to tell you all kind of stuff. But we believe the report of the Lord. And he says, shall by any, nothing shall by any means hurt you. He goes on to say, notwithstanding in this rejoice not. See that word notwithstanding means in spite of the fact that. So he said, in spite of the fact you were able to cast out devils, that they fled at my name. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So for today, believers, the battle is won. The devil is defeated. The real war is the war of faith. And are you going to trust him? Are you going to trust him in all things? So he tells us this. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's not something lightly. 1 Peter 6, 12 reminds us of this point. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What is he saying there? He's saying, you know it. You know that when you accepted Christ that you received eternal life, that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but have you taken hold of it? Have you embraced the essence of that? That is not, so often if we're not careful as saints, we can go, well, one day I'm going to have eternal life. No, you have eternal life. You have it right now. And so he's saying, take hold to it. Don't act like you frail. Don't act like you whipped. Don't act like you defeated because you are victorious in Christ. You don't have to be out there trying to fight because you already won in Christ. You don't have to be struggling to try to pull something your way. You got it all in Christ. Take hold. Trust. And remember what Paul said in Galatians 6, 8. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap eternal life. 
that can apply to us by the actions and the things that we do. We can live like we don't know that we have eternal life. Or we can live like what Jesus said. The thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And walk in it. So let me end with this. Because as we hear that term written in heaven, it's so important that we realize that we sung the songs today about the name. There's life in the name. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's joy in the name. But Jesus wanted us to know that we can rejoice that our name is written in heaven. A place that is perfectly righteous. That our name is sealed in the Lamb's book of life. And so by the very fact that our name is written in heaven, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. The very fact that our name is written in heaven, we're sealed with a promise. Death has no sting. The grave has no victory over you. By the very fact that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, we have an eternal place. We have a ruling and reigning with Christ. That God is waiting for that day that he'll see us face to face. And our joy will be full. Jesus says rejoice that your name is written in this heaven in this book so saints of God it's so important that we keep the main thing the main thing everything else is just a distraction just trying to keep us off from seeing the main thing and so as we remember that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that at the moment we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior there is no more falling short. Your name's been written. It's an eternal promise. It's sealed. Because it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So don't rejoice that you have power or victory over demons and devils, but you do. Don't rejoice that you have Victory over someone else. Rejoice that sin and death does not have victory over you. Rejoice that you are sealed with a promise until the day of redemption and no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. with the one whose name is above every name, whose name is power, 
whose name is victory. And rejoice, saints of God, when someone else's name is written in the Lamb's book of life. When someone else comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Because there's no other way that man can be saved but by the name of Jesus Christ. Rejoice. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's written in heaven. And we give God all the praise and honor and glory because of it.